The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us on the phone is the president and CEO of the NAACP, Derek Johnson. Thank you so much for being here today. Good morning. How are you? I am doing well. I am mildly entertained by the chaos in the Congress, in the House of Representatives this week. But I also am aware fully that um, it's our government and our government has been elected to uh, pass laws and put forward policies that help the American public. And they're not doing that this week. I mean, how are you watching what is unfolding, given the fact that, you know, in your role, your job is to advocate for policies that improve the lives of black Americans? And none of that is happening this week either. It, it would be a comedy show if it wasn't so dangerous. The individuals who, who are holding up progress of simply organizing Congress are also the individuals who, who would tear government apart and create more chaos in the society. So it is, it is unfortunate that they have this power, but this is also symptomatic of where we are in this nation today. Certainly. And, and, and I think that it's it's not poetic. Um, that's not the right word to use, but it's definitely something um, in terms of the fact that it is January the 5th, right? We're one day from the two year anniversary from the January 6th attack and the NAACP filed a lawsuit along with Chairman Benny Thompson. Uh, it's Trump v. Thompson. Tell us about this lawsuit, because I think that, you know, you can't separate, as you said, some of the chaos we're watching unfold this week. And the chaos that we saw and the violence that we saw on January 6th, it is all connected. It's very much connected. Many of the same individuals that's holding up progress uh, uh, simply said that January 6th was uh, a disagreement. They would not acknowledge the significance of that attempted overthrow of government, a coup in our nation's capital. Uh, The fact that these same individuals have not been held accountable by voters, have not been held accountable by their colleagues, have are now allowed to continue to be in seats of power and and governance is concerning. And this is very relatable to the lawsuit we filed based on the KKK Act um, during the period of Reconstruction, where you had a set of individuals who took up arms against our our nation, creating a civil war. uh, That's treason. And because of that treason, we had to put in place an act to ensure that uh, federal lawmakers would not be intimidated or harmed. And what, that's what January 6th represented, uh, individuals who were really uh, 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 gaslighted by the former president, Fox News, and all of the constellation of misinformation to create treason against our nation's capital, against lawmakers. And that's why we filed the lawsuit. 
So what are the stakes in the lawsuit? I mean, what outcome are you hoping for in this lawsuit? Obviously, it is one of the other ways in which um, and mechanisms through which to, to hold some of these folks accountable. And it's obviously completely separate. It's a, a civil suit. Um, so it's separate from what's happening in all of the criminal cases. But, uh, but what outcome are you seeking? Well, first of all, we filed a lawsuit almost immediately after January 6th, after taking in the information, because we were, we were concerned that uh, the former president and others who were involved would not be held accountable. This mm-hmm. is prior to the January 6th committee. And so our goal is to make sure, at least civilly, because that's the only authority we have, that people will be held accountable, that there will be a day in court and, and, and information revealed that what they did was in fact in violation of the, the, the Civil Rights Act of 1866. Now, then you had January 6th committee which gave more uh, thrust behind holding individuals accountable. The next real step is criminal charges being handed down against individuals. So you've had, now we, you have a civil vehicle. Uh, you've had congressional hearing, general assist committee. Now we are waiting a, a criminal charge to be brought forward because in African-American, our history has proven that if you allow domestic terrorism mm. under the banner of white supremacy, to not be held accountable, we guarantee there'll be more acts of domestic terrorism in our nation and particularly against African-Americans. I mean, is that why you see this lawsuit as, you know, mattering to the average American voter? Because because of that history that you're citing in this country where, you know, we've had white supremacist terrorism and domestic terrorism in the past like we saw on January 6th. I mean, we saw it in Charlottesville. And so we know that a threat like this is one that you have to stamp out. And we know, you know, how bad it could actually get. Um, How do you articulate to like the average voter in conversations about why this lawsuit should matter to them? Well, because if we want a stable and and civil society under what, this democracy, we must have law in order and to ensure that individuals cannot take up uh, uh, harm against citizens, our nation's capital, or the system that allow us to have a democracy. Uh, in the South, from that period after the end of Reconstruction all the way up mm-hmm. to uh, recent history, you've had a large number of citizens who happen to be African-Americans, completely disenfranchised, unable to have voice in the formation of public policy, uh, denied that opportunity. And for many of those years or decades, it was done uh, under the threat of physical violence and harm. That's not a civil society. That's not a true democracy. That's not a stable government. And if we don't have stable government, civil societies, we cannot go abroad to fight for something that we're not ensuring and on, and on our homeland, nor can we guarantee the comfort of life that we all expect to have, the, the ability of our senior citizens to have uh, a healthy, prosperous. Uh, uh, Absolutely. I mean, I think I think it's a really important point that the political violence being normalized, um, I mean, before January 6th, but I think certainly up to including and after January 6th, political violence has been normalized by many of the folks who participated 
um, and what we saw that day. And, you know, I, as I mentioned, we're approaching the anniversary. Like this is, this is very recent history, literally just two years ago. You have some of the members of Congress who are, well, they're not sworn in yet into the 118th Congress, but they participated in either the planning or conversations or sort of stoking the big lie um, that led up to the violence on January 6, 2020. But do, are you concerned at all that they're still in the Congress? I mean, and the lawsuit isn't going to result necessarily in or the lawsuit is not going to result in these folks being you know, removed from government. There's different there are a lot of different mechanisms and ways in which we have to, um, you know, sort of get a clean slate again with sane representatives who are not, as you said, stoking some of these things that can make our government so unstable. But what are some of the other ways in which you think voters can and should try to hold these folks accountable? Because it feels like if you and you said the word coup, if there was, you know, people who participated in a coup attempt, they they shouldn't be in the government. Right. That's not that's not sustainable in the long term. We learn that from history. Nor should it have should have taken a civil lawsuit to to begin to force the question, but we use the tools that we have. And we are beginning to see people being held accountable, not mm. criminally as they should. And I'm talking about these elected officials, but you, but you begin to see the trend of voter reactions. And unfortunately, some of them were able to get uh, reelected. Uh, some of them got reelected by very narrow margins of the, 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 the wave that th- people thought the midterm election was going to bring did not happen. And so there is a, 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 a clarity by many voters across racial lines to begin to hold people accountable and to expect something different. We've seen that in Georgia during this midterm election. Um, we've actually seen it in Maryland during this midterm election. So we're beginning to see the public saying, hey, this is not the direction we want to go. This is not the society we need to be in. Uh, but there's still more work to do. And unfortunately, uh, this is something that was building up over several years and in some cases decades. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be overnight that we snuff out some of these individuals and in in these personalities. Very, very important point there. Um, it is a marathon here. I want to turn to the topic of voting rights because I feel like it's very connected. Um, this, as you said, the same folks who are um, holding up Congress's ability to function in this current moment, this present moment, Um, They're also the same people who, um, you know, are in alignment with the attempts to dismantle voting rights, particularly for communities of color. When you think about the voting rights priorities, because the only way we get to a functional government is if all of the people who are eligible and can vote do, but also have access, right, equal access to be able to do that, to elect the government that they want is particularly after watching what we've seen this week, maybe we would, we would in two years, people are going to make different choices um, so that we have a government that functions. But when you think about the voting rights priorities going forward, what is on the top of your list? Because I feel like you can't have a conversation about, you know, needing a functioning government and eliminating the folks that participated in this attempted coup and the ability for voters to elect different people. We must reauthorize the Voting Rights Act. Uh, It it has been gutted uh, on on several occasions, particularly uh, Section 4, Section 5, and Section 2. So that has to be reauthorized. And unfortunately, the Republican Party's 
winning strategy is pre to prevent as many people as possible from voting. That's their winning strategy, as opposed to addressing uh, the deficit they have in terms of their party platforms. And so as opposed to attract new voters and expand their base, they are seeking to shrink access to the polling place. And that's why the Voting Rights Act reauthorization becomes so important. Secondly, uh, we need to look at just the whole uh, method, all of the methods of voting. Why are we using antiquated voting machines across jurisdictions? We need to have a, a level of security around our machines. It should be a, a base le level standard for federal elections, which then will force it for local and state elections. Uh, and you know, if you think about just how many people actually vote in this country, we call a high turnout 60%, 65% turnout. Mm -hmm. We say, oh, that's a really big turnout. But in countries like Australia, where they have uh, over 90% voter turnout, in Canada, over 90% voter turnout, in Germany, over 90% turnout, that those are true democracies where individuals actually have voice in public policy and the policymakers who sit in the seats. We are struggling with the concept of opening up access to citizens to allow them to truly participate, to inform the formation of public policy for this nation. So important. I mean, it feels like there are, there needs to be a recalibration um, for everybody. I mean, and, and, a, and a focus um, on voting rights in the same way that, that you all at the NAACP have um, for, for your entire existence, but also in this present moment. I mean, what are some of the, the persistent threats you see against um, our ability to access the ballot box in an equal fashion? It feels like the threats to voting rights, be, even beyond the Supreme Court gutting the Voting Rights Act um, on the state level, are also something to keep top of mind. So what are, what are some of the worst threats you see um, as you look ahead? The, the biggest threat is you have uh, a mindset within the Republican Party. Their political strategy is to limit access to voting. Mm. Uh, that is the strategy of the, one of the two major political parties in this country. That within itself is the threat. We must challenge and overcome that mindset and increase access to voting for citizens. One of the things that that makes me think of is what happened, one of the things that happened yesterday, which is that this surprised me because I had not yes, uh, before yesterday known who Byron Donalds was. Uh, he's a congressman from Florida. And one of the things that conservatives have done, um, these 20 uh, non-McCarthy supporting Republicans, is they've nominated a black Republican congressman. And they you know stood up yesterday and said, um, it's, it's history. We're making history by nominating the first black, uh, Republican to be speaker of the house. Um, you know, to go up against, I guess, Hakeem Jeffries to sort of make that sort of match up, you know, a black congressman versus a black congressman. But it feels to your point, like th their purpose in restricting the ballot access for, for black and brown communities, um, is to minimize our ability to make changes in our politics like our, our political power to, to dilute our political power but at the same time they're sort of playing this cynical game with identity politics by you know putting forward a, a black congressman and then saying like look look how we're making history i mean 
when you think about the attacks on voting rights at the same time as they're putting forward somebody somebody and saying like we're making history because um we're nominating um the first black republican for speaker i mean how do you interpret interpret some of that cynicism because i i i feel like it it, it needs analysis <laughs> it needs analysis we need to talk about what they're doing here in many ways, and let me start here. African-Americans, we are not, we should not be, and we have never been a monolith. Yep. So we're going to have people who subscribe to many political beliefs and backgrounds. And unfortunately, uh, this group appears to seek the limelight more than that, to actually doing any public policy work. Uh, th- these are individuals who, from my know view they lack any skill to, to actually govern their whole mission their role has been to object and what happens when you are in the space where you have uh one tool and that's fight against something and you don't have anything to fight against because now you actually are in control you default to what you know how to do and that's fight against something that's mm-hmm. what we're looking at secondly well, you know, many many individuals seek the limelight, and yep. so you 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 have one member who barely won re-election. Her whole you know campaign and why she served in office have all all been about shock and awe. They're not yeah. bringing anything new, new concepts to the table. But lights, camera, action. Here I am. What can I do to get more lights, camera, and action for this action? And that's what we're looking. That's what we're witnessing. Thank you so much, President and CEO of the NAACP, Derek Johnson, for being here. It was always great to talk to you about these important issues. And of course, the Trump v. Thompson lawsuit, that civil lawsuit you filed with Chairman Benny Thompson right after the insurrection. Um, We should all be paying attention to that lawsuit. This is very important. There are many mechanisms and ways in which we need to hold the folks accountable who were involved with a coup attempt, which is not something that I have ever lived through before before in this country. None of us have. And there needs to be accountability on all of these fronts. Thank you again for being here. It's always great to have you on. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.